that is the sound of my Bialetti stovetop coffee maker telling me that it is time for another voyage into the world of the octopus wars. During the last episode, I promised the listeners that today we would hear some of the additional insults that Pochito used against Mingo the Crab. Please stay tuned as that will be presented after today's tale. And today's tale is the Galaxia Bar, the famous Galaxia Bar of Mendoza. After the Galaxia Bar, we will review some additional information regarding the tale of the world of Andrew Jackson, which marks an important point in the lives of the young Bohemians. They finally learned how the world works and contributed even to the working of the planet. But before then, we must respond to some of the letters from our devoted listeners. In this podcast, one might hear terms that are unknown from a different time, from a different place. Many of these terms are influenced by the Italian language. Italian ancestry is quite common in Argentina. One listener of the podcast, Michael Abrams from Hutchinson, Kansas, asks, If there were so many Italians in Argentina, why didn't Italian become one of the official languages of the country? This is an excellent question, Michael, and fortunately, we have an explanation regarding this from Professor Rivarola, one of the main characters in the tale of the world of Andrew Jackson. Professor Rivarola writes, During the first Italian diaspora in the 19th century, which was not so long after the unification of Italy, The immigrants arriving in our southern continent upon our shores did not all speak the same language. Some immigrants spoke Genoese, some spoke Neapolitan, and some spoke Calabrian. Because of this, it was not the case that there was one large block of immigrants who all spoke the same language, for example, Italian. Well, I would like to thank Professor Riverola for this explanation. Now, listeners say there are a lot of terms that come from Italian that we do not understand. And so here we have the definitions of some of these terms. And fortunately for us, they are provided by the historical figures who use these terms in our stories. Our first definition is for the very common word favorcito. Favorcito, which literally means little favor. Catface Laguna explains the ito at the end of the word is what the grammar teacher calls the diminutive. Literally, the word means little favor. But beware, my friends, when someone asks you for a favorcito, it is usually a big request. Hearing the word favorcito makes my neck sweat. The irony is that when someone asks you for a small favor, they will say, would you do me a big favor? Which in Spanish would be un gran favor. Or even worse, for a small favor, they might say, can you do me a gauchada? Which is a favor a gaucho would do. Now, why do they say this if they're asking for little? 
Well, they do this because they are trying to look considerate. That they're asking you for a little thing is such an imposition that it's the same as asking you for a big thing. But beware, my friends. If they actually needed a big favor, they would pull out the word favorcito. And then you are certainly in trouble. Remember, the bigger the favor, the smaller the word. When I am serving dishes at El Pinguino and hear the word favorcito, I remind people that I can't hear very well out of one of my ears. Then they always ask me, which one? Which ear? And I tell them, whichever ear is going to hear about your little favorcito. Laguna for that definition. Now, in Rio Platense Spanish, which is more from Buenos Aires, there are three negative terms, and they're very different from each other, and we would like to hear explanations of them. These are negative terms about other people. One of them is busca. They say that person is a busca. The other term is chanta, and someone might say that person is a real chanta. And last, we have Vivo. Fortunately, we have Don Fanucci from the Galaxia Bar, who will be important in today's tale, provide the three definitions for the three terms. So let's start with Busca. Don Fanucci states, Busca, someone who is always scheming. It derives from buscar, which means to seek. Buscar means to seek. The busca is always fidgeting, glancing from side to side like a soccer player wanting the ball. The busca is always looking for a handout, an opportunity, or a favorcito. People say, stay away from that one. He is a busca. Chanta. Don Fanucci states, Chanta is someone who cleverly finds a way to get out of work. These people always find a way to get out of work. People say, This Chanta was supposed to paint the whole bar, but he painted only the smallest wall of the bar. What a Chanta! At the Galaxia Bar, we would never ever hire someone described as a Chanta. The negative consequences of being seen as a chanta are so great that people use the term only cautiously and conservatively. The other day I called my friend and asked, Hey, Umberto wants to come work here. Should I hire him? My friend said, He's a chanta, which means he's a chanta. Now this is a very strong thing to say. So I asked my friend, Are you sure? You know what you're saying, right? My friend said, Oh yeah, that guy is a real chanta, which of course was the end of the conversation. There was nothing more to ask. Vivo. A vivo is a wise guy, a clever fox, always looking for angles, strategizing. 
You could never fool of evil, but he could certainly fool you. Everyone is playing checkers, but the vivo is playing chess. Finding a way to cheat at things, to scheme, or to deceive people. Sometimes vivos out-sophisticate themselves, and in trying to take every possible shortcut or work out every possible angle, they end up nowhere. The Galaxia Bar hired a Vivo once. He never showed up for work. Don Boca provides a very interesting insight about the Vivo. He states, The Vivo is always scheming, thinking about how he might scheme others, or thinking about how others might scheme him. He is always thinking, who might swindle me? Or whom can I swindle? But he forgets a very sad truth. No one in your life will harm or swindle you more than you yourself. Don Boca, always telling the hard truth. Next, we have the definition of the word campeón, a term that we heard at the end of the tale of the world of Andrew Jackson. And the definition for campeón comes from Don Boca. Don Boca states, It means champion, a term always in the singular that, like winner, excludes everyone but only one person, reflecting the cruel nature of this world. In the World Cup, one team is champion, only one team. Everyone else goes home in tears. Next, we have the definition gordo in Catface Laguna states, Gordo is anyone who is not referred to as flaco. Flaco, of course, means thin. Mate. Professor Riverola defines mate as a tea made from the leaves of an herb that is indigenous to the South American continent. Young Puchito Bonano says that it is the elixir from which old chusmas gained their energies. Puchito also defines the word muerto. Puchito states a dead person, also the term for lazy soccer players. You say that player is a muerto. Last, we have the definition for Buena Vida. Dr. DeVartolo writes, The Good Life. It is a lifelong ambition of every provinciano. For the provinciano, the good life is readily achievable with very little. Some asado, some wine, and a nice cortado after dinner. Another tale from the world of the Octopus Wars. The Galaxia Bar. In the Galaxia Bar, one could always find Don Fanucci moving back and forth behind his gilded bar, tending to the silverware, sorting the forks and knives, polishing the brass with the towel he always held, and washing just the rims and never the bottoms 
of his whiskey glasses. Apart from Don Fanucci and his three regulars, one could also find miniature palm trees, the famous black and white tiles of the Galaxia floor, and an empty stage ready with a stool, piano, and bandoneon. Most things in the Galaxia were silver, white, black, golden, or brass, and everything was polished and shiny. Fanucci, the social genius of Mendoza, knew human nature better than any priest ever could, because, as he would say, I hear the unedited, drunk confessions. The priests hear only the edited versions. He looked over his eyeglasses to his three regulars and pointed at the stage with his head. His hands were busy drying glasses with his towel. Fanucci said, In two hours, the Flaco Rubin will walk in, and an hour later, after he warms up on the piano, La Pabeta will walk in. It has been the same routine every night since they arrived last week from Buenos Aires, the two of them. The Galaxia Bar is happy to have this duo, as it brings in a more refined crowd. No offense. The three regulars nodded. It was with them that Fanucci had his favorite conversations. They never talked back and just let El Maestro speak his truths. It is quite something, continued Don Fanucci. His piano playing and her singing bring the audience to tears. I have to put extra napkins on the tables. Tourists then realize that a good tango is about nostalgia and melancholia. Even the toughest rugby player holds back tears when hearing them perform. One lady from Salta said it was the most sentimental, heartfelt tango she had ever heard. Little do they know that, sadly, the feelings are real. You see, the true story of El Flaco Rubin and La Pabeta is actually much sadder than any tango. For this story, you gentlemen will need another drink. Don Fanucci poured each of the caballeros another round of whiskey. You see, continued Fanucci, El Flaco Ruben plays only at night because he sleeps in a chair during the day. All this because he refuses to wake up in an empty bed. Why, you might ask yourself? Well, it is because years ago he toured Buenos Aires with the love of his life, La Gran Dama. They were a glorious duo, El Flaco Rubin and La Gran Dama. El Flaco Rubin was on fire then. Unlike today, he was smiling all the time, playing cheerful milongas, and even playing a foxtrot. Today, he sleeps in a chair during the day and plays very sad songs at night. It's because La Gran Dama left him for a man who took her to France by promising her more things than poor El Flaco could ever provide. 
El Flaco Ruben has been heartbroken ever since, walking around the way he does. He plays over and over the tango cristal, which means crystal. The tango that says that the heart is a crystal that, once shattered, it can never be repaired again. El Flaco Ruben was always thin, but now he is thinner. He can hide behind that palm tree over there. The three regulars looked at the small palm tree. Don Fanucci, wiping his glasses, continued his exposition. You three won't believe this, continued Fanucci. One night, the Flacco Rubin pulled me over and said, Everyone thinks that people are gone once they die or move away. But the truth is that they continue to live in one's dreams. It is then that it is waking up, which is the nightmare. The three regulars nodded in agreement. Don Fanucci handed each a small bowl of almonds. He said to them, It is such a pleasure having a conversation with you, gentlemen. The men nodded in agreement and chewed their almonds. And the story of La Pabeta is even sadder, continued Don Fanucci. She adores El Flaco Rubin more than anything, but he isn't interested at all, not after his heart was broken. You know, La Pabeta fell in love with him just from hearing his piano playing. This was before El Flaco Rubin met La Gran Dama. She said to me one day, My biggest regret, and I only have one, is that I did not save him from the one who broke his crystal heart. I should have been his first love, but I wasn't. So today, La Pabeta follows El Flaco Rubin around the country for years and years, singing tangos, lamenting, together they do, across the country. A tango here, a tango there, a tango late at night over there. Everyone knows El Flaco Rubin and La Pabeta. Come one, come all. Come dance, come sing. Come leave with tears in your eyes. Don Fanucci then served each of his three regulars a small glass of tonic water. He turned to the three regulars and said, While I was cleaning up, and El Flaco Rubin was tuning his piano the other night. La Paveta was sitting right where you are, right on that stool, finishing a long, dark glass of Malbec. Without looking at me, she said, He is incomplete, and I am incomplete, and that is the way that it will be. I didn't know what to say. What can a man say to such words? The three regulars nodded in agreement. All I could do is pour her un cachomas of wine. I put down my towel and asked, Hey, Peveta, what if all this could be changed somehow and you two could fix this and live? As one, she interrupted me. She turned to look at El Flaco and said, Don Fanucci, 
then there would be no tango. Bar. And now, as promised, we are going to cover some additional material, supplementary material, about the world of Andrew Jackson. Here are some of Puchito's custom-made insults for Mingu, the crab. Because of your mustache, no one would ever eat you because nobody wants hair in their food. Crabs are so dumb they can walk only sideways. Scientifically, crabs are considered a kind of bug. I'd shake your hand, but you only have a claw. A foreigner once left Don Pellegrino a cooked crab as a gift. When Don Pellegrino found the dish, he started smashing the crab with a broom, thinking that a critter had entered his kitchen, because Argentines know only of beef and pasta. One time, Puchito brought a land crab that he found at a lagoon near the Atuel. He told Mingu, I brought you a girlfriend. Mingu raised his eyebrows, excited to meet a companion. The female crab saw Mingu's face and skirted away, falling off the table. Pachito said, Even bugs of your own kind think you're ugly. The following notes, provided by the descendants of Don Pellegrino, owner of the Cafe Astoria, were written by Professor Egio Elfemore Rivarola at the Cafe Astoria on that historic day in 1945 when Puchito Bonanno saved the world. These facts are not to be disclosed to those in that stage of life where all things seem to be understood, scribbled the professor in his journal. After 342 experiments, the method and the transcription has failed and things will undoubtedly fall apart. May God bring an answer into this old mine. Echio Elfamore Rivarola, touted as the wisest Italian in the provinces of Mendoza, San Luis, and San Juan, closed his book and, for the first time in 10 years, abandoned his back table at the Cafe Astoria after the sun had descended upon the Andes. He carried out with him a globe of the world, three Egyptian statuettes, and several books of the week nestled under his arms. Professori, why the hurry? You're living in the interior now, in the land of the sun and good wine, said Don Pellegrino, who was reluctantly returning four toasted ham and cheese sandwiches back to the kitchen. The young bohemians sitting outside claimed that they were burnt. Professor Rivarola remembered his days as a student at the University of Cordoba and his experiences abroad. He was a worldly man, but he was also proud of being a laid-back provinciano. Normally, his bald head and bald globe could be seen bopping up and down through the quiet streets of Mendoza, with that softened joy gained from a life of routine. But today was not one of those days. No hurry at all, for place does not really matter. It is just that I have failed to find the solution, and it's already the 3rd of August, 1945. Right, retorted an indifferent Pellegrino, who was too busy keeping the Bohemians at bay. But make sure the cheese is melted, someone yelled from the front of the cafe. 
Of course, the professor concluded aloud, dropping his globe of the world on the wooden floor of the Astoria. How could I have forgotten the young Bohemians and the infamous Puchito Bonanno? With all of his articles, he ran to the outside table of the Astoria, right into Bohemian territory. And there they were as always. Crazy Cole, Puchito, Aledro, and Fat Grano, dressed in black and waiting for perfect sandwiches. Regarding the world of Andrew Jackson, I would like to add that during the time of the young Bohemians, it was very rare in Argentina to know someone who traveled to the other side of the world, to a country as far as India. Even in Buenos Aires, this would be rare. One can imagine how the Bohemians were enthralled about this story from Professor Rivarola, a story about a distant land and which, as an icing on the cake, a story that explained how the world actually operates. This view is consistent with that of our esteemed Professor Jacques Elisan Champignon, who is a professor of dialectical hermeneutics and is a renowned Vengatis scholar from Paris. So he's a professor of dialectical hermeneutics. In 1959, the professor wrote that, again, these historical tales contain more truths than are contained in reality. The world of Andrew Jackson marks an important turning point for the young Bohemians. Professor Jacques Ellison Champignon continues, For the first time, the young Bohemians saw the role of Mr. Andrew Jackson hiding in Kolkata and saw his role in managing the world. And the Bohemians also could appreciate greater the role of the Brujo, the witch Madridi, who was governing the southern continent. And in the Black Eagle, in the tale of the Black Eagle, one observes a third force, that of the celestial order, the angels and the others. The celestial order becomes more salient in the historical archives concerning Phobos Devoto. Professor Elazan states, I could now in my mind graph how these three forces interact and cause the tales that history has almost forgotten. The world of the octopus wars is a confluence of these three forces, the celestial order, Andrew Jackson and the planet runners, and also the Brujo Madridi. It is a confluence just as a rainbow brings together light water in various colors, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet, my favorite. But the structure of the world begins to reveal itself only after Professor Rivarola descended down that well in Kolkata. You see, it is all about metaphysics, ontology, and the historicity of the cleverness of young Puchito Bonanno. And we hear Mr. Andrew Jackson speaking of the case in which a man turns into an octopus. It is obvious to any listener that the superstructure of the interrelations amongst the three forces, that is, the forces that give rise to the circumstances which necessitate the tales, just like water requires a dam, 
is a symbolification of the tripartite complexity of modernity. I must add, if all of this is inaccurate, but I state that it is false, then my statement must be true. Signed, Professor Jacques Elissane Champignon, Paris, 1959. Well, I would like to thank Professor Champignon for what always is a very deep and complex analysis of the events occurring in the world of the Octopus Wars. Uh, I will have to think more about this, and it is true that if a statement is false and is said to be false, then it becomes true, um, but this is quite complex. And I, I'll have to study further the tripartite control of the stories um, and the rainbow analogy um, and the colors of the rainbow. Uh, but thank you very much. And, it, and I agree that it is a turning point for the young bohemians. Our next episode is, unlike the Galaxia Bar, more of a historical account of an adventure. It's more of an adventure tale. And it is called Night of the Manduduk Two. Night of the Manduduk Two. And it features and stars our favorite Catface Laguna along with some young Bohemians. So please tune in for that one, Night of the Manduduk Two which will be produced and released in about two weeks. If you're enjoying this podcast and are listening, I encourage you to please provide some feedback, email me, leave some comments, become a follower, subscribe, depending on what platform you are listening to. Uh, but any feedback and comments are highly appreciated. Uh, I'm curious to hear what all of you think. And I know that we have listeners from all around the world, uh, and I'm excited to hear from every single one of them. Thank you so much for listening to the world of the Octopus Wars. <laughs>